I am non-tenant. And I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father role by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. What are we talking about today, Non? Today we are going to be doing a Q&A episode, volume one. So we've got, we've got a whole bunch of questions from people. We asked on Facebook, what do you want to know? And we got a whole bunch of responses. So we're just going to kind of work through them and see how it goes. So the first question that we got and what we did, we took these questions and kind of just put them in big categories. A lot of them overlap. So the first one was, what daily routines and disciplines have you found most beneficial in your life, especially regarding prayer and growing in the knowledge of God and also things that have helped you become more of a man? Let's start with you, Nan. What are just some that come to mind? One of the big ones that comes to mind, there are probably two that really come to mind. The first is that I've started to develop a habit. It's still kind of in its infancy, but it's going fairly well and it's very helpful of the very, very first thing that I do when I get up before I even stood up from my bed, I sit on the bed just for a second and I thank God for the day. I thank him for the work that he's given me to do and I ask him for help with doing it. So that just sets things up in a good way. I mean, I, I have trouble praying. I often find it difficult to find time because it's difficult to establish a routine where it fits in well, but being able to do that at the beginning of the day is helpful. And other things that I've started to try to work on doing is for instance, um, using, you know how I love to say the physical images, the spiritual. So I've been working on things like if I wash my hands, I use that as an opportunity to remind myself, thank God for washing me of sin. So it's just a way of working prayer into my life in kind of um, ways that where I'm reminded to do it. The second thing that I found really helpful, which I guess, I mean, I didn't sort of set out with the intent of helping myself, but I have found it very helpful, is every morning the first thing that we do for homeschooling is Bible. And we work through, usually it's just a chapter of scripture. We've been working through first, we've just got to first Kings. And we spend the first um, lesson of homeschooling just working through that chapter and reading it and figuring out what it means, what's important. And it's been really helpful for me just because it means that even if I don't read Bible later in the day, I have started the day off in scripture. And it also means that because I'm working through sequentially, I'm not just going to, you know, one passage that I happen to particularly like. I'm getting a good sense of the flow of scripture and I'm seeing things that I've never seen before. Those are great. Uh, Personally, I have to establish strict routines and patterns to get anything done in life. I have ADHDDD. So I'm, my mind's always getting distracted and it's been that way since I've been a boy. So I, uh, I have to come up with these sort of systems and habits where I'll be in real trouble. So I'll give you three that I found to be, Uh, very helpful. First, uh, spiritually, I keep things very simple. I usually have a systematic Bible reading plan I follow. Right now, I'm following along with Christ Church's uh, same page summer. You can Google it or uh, Geneva Commons, their Twitter uh, posts, what you're supposed to read every day. Uh, It's super easy and helpful. It's about four chapters a day, and I listen to it on the YouVersion Bible app on my way to the office. So that's how I do that. 
In addition to that, I usually find some idea that sticks out of that passage, and I go and check the original languages on it and some of my favorite commentaries. So Bible Hub has a great free interlinear Greek and Hebrew Bible, and commentary-wise, I will usually read Matthew Henry, John Calvin, and if it's uh, Old Testament, Kyle and Dillich, and all those are free online. Then I'll type out my thoughts on an iPhone notepad app, and some of it's gold and a lot of it's dross. The good stuff, I usually turn into social media content or it's going to find its way into one of our books, you know, so that's all I do there. Prayer-wise, I follow a very simple acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, um, so A for adoration, so you praise God for who he is. You can work through his attributes or his names uh, to, to do that. The C then is for confession. So you lay out your sins before God by name and ask for forgiveness and cleansing. Uh, T is for thankfulness. So you thank the Lord for all his many blessings. You can go through your family and go through your vocational blessings, health, whatever. And then ask for supplication. So ask him to help you others and your family in whatever area. So it's a simple uh, acronym to follow and it covers most everything. So in terms of just building a prayer habit and a Bible habit, uh, that's kind of foundational. Those are the methods I use. Second, I, I've also found that a strict morning routine makes all the difference for me. I'm always up a few hours before my family and I do it because I, I need quiet to focus so there are about three parts to that morning routine. First, I make a, a craft of French press coffee. I do it on autopilot. I'm rarely fully awake when I am start boiling the water. And uh, then I hop into a cold shower. That's the second part. And I've been doing doing both of those, you know, for, for several years. And I know that with cold showers, there are some health benefits. I'm told that it increases your testosterone, which obviously is a great benefit as I'm getting into my 40s now. But I, I mainly do it because I like starting my day with something that requires a difficult decision and, uh, you know, something that, that goes against comfort. And an ice cold shower does that. It, it immediately wakes me up. And it makes the day about doing what needs to be done and not just what I feel like doing. So the last thing I do is I review the big things that I have to get done today. I try to sketch them out on the uh, iPhone notepad app the, the day before. And so, you, you know, usually you can identify three or four of those things. Uh, but if you even just start with like, this is the one thing that I must get done today. I found that to be a really helpful part of my morning routine. And I can always look back and say, on Monday, I got that thing done. On Tuesday, I got that thing done. Now, obviously, you want to do more than one thing. But with everything, it's about building habits. So I'm up to about three or four. So the last habit I'll give you is uh, I've been lifting weights since I've been about 15 years old. And I, I still lift weights. Thankfully, my gym is open here in my office building. So I lift about three times a week. I follow uh, Medi's, M-E-D-H-I, his strong lifts, which is, uh, you can find it on uh, Android and Apple. It, I think it's under strong lifts or 5x5 app. 
So I, I've been following that for a while. It's, it focuses heavily on Olympic lifting. I like it because if you're paying attention and taking the right amount of breaks and rest between everything, you're about at 25 minutes, 25 to 35 minutes uh, lifting. So it doesn't eat up a lot of time, and it hits all the major uh, muscle groups, and it makes you strong. If you're looking to get thin and shape your body, you'll have to add things to it. But if you're looking for functional strength in life, I think it's hard to find anything better than strong lifts. And it's really easy to start. So that's, that's something I've been doing for a long time. I think lifting weights is something all men should be doing. Uh, not for vanity reasons, but simply because you have to stay strong. And many of us sit all day and we do very little. And so we have to basically replicate what we used to do day by day. So if you're if you're out there, if you're working with your hands and you're a farmer or a blacksmith or some sort of factory worker that's getting a workout, maybe you don't need it. But a lot of us guys that work in offices need to hit the weights just to stay strong. Now, I also run three days a week. So I lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday, run Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And I run with my wife. And we've been doing this for about together for about a year and a half, I guess. And that's been really good. So uh, I I lift and run right after I get off work. So when, when I come home, she and I run and we'll actually use it as an opportunity to, through heavy breath, talk about uh, what's going on with our kids or what's going on with our day or what the Lord's teaching us. So there's also a relational value to having that workout routine that includes my wife. There's also a a massive spiritual value. Uh, Working out releases a lot of stress because where does the body end and the spirit start in terms of your stress level, depression, and all that? These things overlap and interact in a way that's very hard to parse out. I know this is that when I'm consistently lifting weights and consistently running, uh, that it tends for me to strengthen my my prayer life and my Bible reading life and my life of, of reflection on whole. So I think you should also have an ex- exercise routine to, to stay in shape. But I, I found there to be, I found that there is a relationship between the two. And the other thing that goes along with that is obviously your diet, but I don't really want to talk about diet so much as I want to talk about the, the spiritual value because you've been talking about the way that the physical and the spiritual tie in, the spiritual value of fasting. The more stressed I am, the more I fast because I know that when you're stressed, you want to be hitting that dopamine. You want to be, you know, packing on, packing in the, the chocolate and the chips, what you call them, America crisps. Um, all the kind of junk food that's going to make you feel good in the moment. And that's also the time that sexual temptation is a problem as well. So I found that fasting is very helpful for all kinds of temptation. And generally I will only eat after about 2 PM, try to get to about 4 PM before I start eating. If I can do oh mate, I do one meal a day. But when I'm in particular need of God's help, I'm particularly stressed about something. I'll cut out things like sugar and um, that kind of thing as well, so that I'm I'm having to image in my body the the neediness that I have uh, in my spiritual life. I've been doing OMAD for about a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer than that. So one meal a day. So I fast 
20 to 24 hours every day. And I found it to be very helpful health-wise. I've lost a, a degree of weight from it. And it's also helped me to not put on more weight when I follow it. Greater mental clarity is just an easier way to live for me personally. So that's been very helpful. People ask, are you fasting for spiritual or physical reasons? And it's been mostly for physical reasons, but it always becomes spiritual because you you get hungry and then you have to make a decision not to eat, a decision to, to go to something else. There's a reason that at the end of his fast, when he's tempted with food, Jesus says man does not live on bread alone. He's, he wants us to reflect on what that means. What does it mean? Well, I mean, it means what you just said. That- <laughs> <laughs> it isn't just food that keeps us going. And in fact, we often rely on food to keep us going in place of the things that really keep us going. The word of God, um, hit the power of God in our lives, relying on God through prayer. I think the biggest thing that everyone takes away from this is that you need to actually have habits. And habits aren't something that you do once or even just for a week, but it's something that you do over and over and over again. And it's over the the aggregate over the whole the cumulative effect of those habits that you actually see the results you want to see in your life you'll you'll grow spiritually you'll get in better shape all those things happen by building habits so start small and just be consistent our next question is how can we effectively balance weighing in on significant political and cultural issues fighting the cultural wars versus focusing on your own life. What would you say, Nan? I might not be the best person to ask because I'm probably not actually a great example of this, but it is something that I've thought a lot about because obviously I am involved in it a great deal. And I actually wrote an article which I turned into a talk uh, back in 2015, I think, which is called, Is Online Discussion Worth It? And I think the key question that we need to be asking is based on recognizing that these are not two equally important tasks. The task of focusing on your own life, building your own piety, building your own household is much more important than the task of going out and fighting battles in the world, especially when those battles may not even really be as important as you think they are. So that's kind of the first most important issue. But when it does come time to see something online and you think, oh, I need to take a stand, there are a few things that you need to be thinking about before you just dive right in. I think that it's important to firstly ask yourself, is this really redeeming the time? So Ephesians 5.16, asking questions like, can I do more good somewhere else? Has God given me better ways to reach the lost and to build up the church? Um, You need to be assessing your other duties, in other words. If you're spending more time in online discussion than in your devotion to God, or you're neglecting your family and friends, then obviously something is not right with that equation. Something is unbalanced. There's also an issue that you need to be thinking about in terms of your spiritual life, because if you're always engaged in these kinds of, I mean, they're called culture wars for a reason. This is spiritual warfare. It's what the Bible describes it as, but spiritual warfare may not be as destructive as physical warfare, but it still has a significant effect on your soul, especially if you're doing it all the time. Like you see, this is your primary calling. Um, when we're angry or aggravated, for instance, we need to remember James 1.20, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we need to be going to God with these kinds of problems. Um, I also think of 
you know, the way that David wanted to build a house for God and God loved David. David was a man after his own heart, but God said, I don't want you to build a house for me because you're a man of war. I've given you the success in war. I am a man of war myself. I describe myself that way in Exodus, for example, but I want people to know that my temple is not a place of war. It is a place of peace. And so he has Solomon build the temple instead. So understanding that there are genuine spiritual dangers in always being engaged in battle is also an important thing to be, to be looking at. Um, let, Let me give you a quick checklist. Actually, should you get involved in discussion? Ask yourself, number one, is there something better that God has given you the opportunity to do? Secondly, is this discussion likely to build you up? Thirdly, is this discussion likely to build up existing disciples now or later because your primary duty is to the church? Fourthly, is this discussion likely to help you make disciples now or later? So for instance, um, we repurpose heaps of our content, right? Because it's stupid to to say something only once if you can reach other people by saying it again the same way uh, in a different format. And then fifthly, is the discussion likely to help Christians in general people gain ground in our culture and that can be a very difficult question to assess i think that a lot of people vastly overestimate the influence that they have on social media but at the same time if you don't speak up then a lot of people just assume that because no one speaks up everyone agrees with the opposing side that's really good so i would say first focusing on your own life uh, there's not there's not really a balance that's like the thick of it and understand that in a christian sense own life meaning your commitment to your god-given vocation to your wife to your family to your church and your local community that always in terms of weighing in in terms of speaking to uh, political cultural things that has to be the uh, big thing that you focus on your own life. And, and the evidence of that is when you look at a, a leader for the church, he has to possess virtues. And so there are all these character issues showing that he's grown as a man and it's demonstrated over his ability to communicate and teach, but also his ability to manage his own household. So he's got to have his life in order to weigh in to spiritual things with God's people. And so if that's true of elders in the church, it's certainly true of just men in general. So get your own house in order because you can feel like a like you're doing a lot, like you're accomplishing a lot by speaking out online. Also, there's a sort of negative feedback loop you can get in. You can take strong stands for Calvinism or against egalitarianism or or against wearing a mask or whatever. And, and when you get all these negative comments and then a few people that are cheering you on, you feel like you're impacting a lot of people. But it's really cheap a lot of times and it doesn't lead to the effect that you probably want. It's more, as the, the Puritans would say, it's a lot more heat than it is light. That's been my um, experience. Now, that being this reminds me of something that Brian Suave is it Suave or Suave? I Suave because uh, that song from the nineties, that thing from that song Rico Suave. Brian Suave. Then okay, he he posted a good little tweet today that says some of the greatest acts of righteous cultural rebellion you can undertake are also the least clamorous. Mary Young have lots of kids, homeschool, work with your hands, diversify income, go to church. This is why Paul's exhortation to live quiet lives is radical, not mundane. Yeah, that's great. Me praising that probably seems hypocritical. Some of you know that I've got a pretty epic Twitter feed these days. But here's my defense. So Al Mohler back in 2012 wrote a book 
on leadership and then he's got a chapter called the digital leader and he's got this line he says if the leader is not leading in the digital world his leadership is by definition limited to those who ignore and neglect that world that population is shrinking every minute the clock is ticking the digital world podcasts like this twitter all those new forms of media, that's where a lot of conversations are happening. And it used to be that we were really frustrated that we couldn't get men to read books. So I'd always look for short summary books that I could get guys to read. But it's hard to get a lot of men to read a blog post at this point. Mm. And people say, well, it shouldn't be that way. And to them, I say, I agree. But we've got to find some way to get people thinking. And you've got to be a principal pragmatist. Yeah. And so a part of my purpose online is to send up flares to let other men know that there's like-minded guys out there and to, to put a, a pebble in people's shoe so they'll actually think about things from a different perspective. And it's, and it's worked, right? This is how we've grown. It's good to be a man and met a lot of brothers that uh, we talk to on the phone, that we meet in person. Uh, Nan and I met online and eventually met in person. So there's a way to do it, but you have to have a strategy when you come to social media. So think about it. Like, is this worthwhile? And if you're not sure, well, don't post. Just wait till tomorrow. Stick it in draft. Save it on your phone. And and then go uh, ask your son what's going on in his life or tell your wife she think, you think she's beautiful or something. What is wrong with many children's ministries today like Awana and as fathers, how do we deal with them? I don't remember reading this question. But I've got to tell you, I don't know what Awana is. So Awana is this... It's really for Baptists, but I've known a lot of non-Baptist churches to use it. It's kind of like a, a children's program that people in your community can bring their kids to, and it's just structured discipleship. It's not mm. quite Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, but it's... We've it's got something, something like that here in TA, uh, where I live. It's kind of, I'm guessing it's a similar kind of approach. It's just done at the church up the road. It's called Rally. I don't have this deep problem with Awana. My kids go to Rally. I don't have a problem with it. They use some horrible message Bible or something, and I, they know perfectly well that it's a terrible translation, but you know, they learn Bible verses in it, and I don't really mind them doing that. I think it's better than not doing it. Well, see, I don't, what I was about to say is I don't have a problem with age-based ministries to kids where someone yeah. besides mom and dad is teaching them. I've read on family integrationalism, and where I'm with them is I don't want to have separate worship services on the mm. Lord's Day, 100% right. with them. We want the kids in the service as soon as possible, and I think nursery in a cry room is one thing to deal with kids that are really loud, and then everyone needs to be somewhat patient with the, you know, the clamor of little kids in a service. Not to the point where you together. Yeah, but this idea that age-based discipleship is a product of an evolutionary mindset that was brought into a secular educational philosophy is just not true. I mean, you saw, like, for example, uh, Calvin, he had a catechism course that eight-year-olds went through before they were brought into the church uh, or to the communion table. The, the Scottish had parochial schools where kids were trained, and then they also had to go through a sort of uh, catechism prep. So there, we've seen age-based ministries like that before. I, mean, I don't... 
I honestly don't understand. If you're against age-based ministries, shouldn't you be against grades in schools as well? Shouldn't everyone just do university to begin with? They might be. Some of these guys might be. I don't know. I I think what they're against is removing the pressure or the requirement or exhortation of a father and mother to be the ones discipling their kids. And so what I would say, yeah, I, I agree with you that when children are young, that they their primary discipleship and care is coming from their parents. And then as they age, that, that practical transition of identifying with the uh, elders as a real authority in their life is something you want to see happen. But it, for the church to have uh, supplemental teaching into this kid's life, I, it's just beyond me why it matters. I mean, that's a lot different than having some sort of like goofy dude with a you know, goatee that can play a couple of chords on a, you know, <laughs> guitar. He's like 21 years old. and He's trying to teach my 14 year old uh, mm-hmm. son or God forbid a 14 year old girl uh, yeah. how, how to be a man or a woman. I, I don't like that scenario either. I, I'm not cool with that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't really know what's wrong with Awana, what this person had in mind. This is one of those questions like where someone had a, like they had an answer an extra <laughs> right they yeah. had an answer in their head i don't know what they're thinking but um i i, I don't really have a problem with it to, to be quite honest and i think fathers i think fathers if you want to use it just be discerning look at the doctrine look at yeah i mean if you're handing your children over to a wana so that you don't have to do anything then there's a problem but otherwise i mean you're involved in a kid's life all the time right yeah what is your advice for those who want to start a men's ministry um avoid it because it will get you into a huge amount of trouble and an enormous amount of stress and heartbreak. It will be very sad a lot of the time, not because of what you're doing, but because of what other people are doing to you and you'll try to find a way to move to Cincinnati. Yes. It's good to be a man has definitely caused us a lot of trouble. I think what these people had in mind was uh, starting a men's ministry at your local church. And I I went on about this online a while back. And what what I'll say is that (laughs) the church's job is uh, to teach the word and to minister the sacraments and to discipline people for any, uh, both restoratively, but also formatively, but to, to restore them when they go away from the clear teachings of scripture, either in doctrine or in practice, right? That's that's the purpose of the church. The church is to make disciples, to equip them for the work of the ministry. The church isn't to try to reproduce all the things that uh, should exist in society. And so churches nowadays have become a you know purveyor of goods and services. So they have to have like the Christian 20-somethings, the Christian work group, the Christian this, right? And they're trying to hit all these segments so there's something for everyone is the idea. And so men aren't coming to church. So there's this idea that, well, maybe if we have a men's ministry, we can get more men at our church or the men that are here, we can get more involved. But usually men's ministries, at least here in America, I can't speak for the rest of the world, take the form of waking up at a really early hour on a Saturday. And most of us work Monday through Friday, like Saturday's our day to get things done around the house and spend time with our family. Wake up at some early hour, go have eggs and bacon, and then listen to a really questionable devotion, you know, in terms of like its helpfulness. I'm staying very quiet right now. <laughs> okay. So go listen to that. And then in some cases, sit in a circle 
and talk about your emotions and when was the last time you looked at porn. That's how I've seen men's ministries, the form I've seen them take. And, and frankly, every time I go to them, I just want to die. Well, like you say, that's a woman's ministry with bacon. It is, exactly. And it's not it, – it doesn't really help men. I think if you want to start a men's ministry, minister to men by doing this, by spending time with them, taking them out and like, hey, can you help me fix the car or this woman needs help on this? Can we go over there and do this? And by getting together – agenda light and getting to know each other. We have this thing going on out here in Cincinnati where it's about four or five churches and me and a friend are the minister of Facebook group. And all it is, we set up, Hey, we're going to meet at the bean and brew at 6 PM on this Thursday. That's it. That's the agenda. And so last time we did it, we had over 30 men show up from all different backgrounds. Some of it was talking about best spots to fish up in Wisconsin. Then some of it was talking about how do we as churches try to shape our community with the gospel. Some of it was talking about marriage problems. Things happen. So I think men just need to spend a lot of time together. I'm not against men's ministry, but if you're going to do it, it better be high quality. If I'm going to if I'm going to go away from my family for a extra biblical ministry, right? A specific men's ministry on, on a Saturday when I, I have a thousand things that need to get done around the house and, and I need to give time to my family. If I'm going to come, it better really be helpful, right? The content better actually speak to the issues I'm dealing with. And so I would say, speak to the issues that men are dealing with, speak to the issues of vocation, how to how to uh, see your your work and your job as a spiritual gift from God, as an opportunity to worship Him and to bring His kingdom to bear uh, throughout the week. Uh, talk to them about how they can improve their marriage, in particular how they can deal with their sex life. Don't just talk about failure and pornography, but talk mm-hmm. about how they can build better sexual intimacy in their home. Talk about uh, the idea of casting a vision or a mission for your family. Show them how to do it. Show it to them from scripture. Give them the doctrines of biblical household. Uh, call them to use their citizenship like Paul did as an opportunity to advance the kingdom. Do the stuff that is action-oriented and actually deals with the battle that they're in. In apologetics, I mean, apologetics, if you if you want to stay kind of abstract and spiritual, at least apologetics that teaches them how to engage with folks that they're talking to at their workplace for the sake of the gospel, that's, that's pretty masculine. That's battle-oriented. Those are things I would do. Yeah, it also makes you think of Spurgeon and his emphasis on street preaching and the idea of forming a group to do street preaching would be something that I think a lot of men would be, they'd find it very helpful in terms of kind of refining a lot of their ideas, figuring out where they're weak and binding them together in a way that, you know, war binds you together in a way that other things can't. So adding street preaching to the list could be a helpful one to do, but I mean, not not by itself. Street preaching uh, was the foundations of my ability to be a salesman. So when I went into sales, I, I learned how to listen to people and repeat mm-hmm. back to them what they said and, and get to the issue. And then, and then as I've worked in sales now for the last, you know, many, many years, I have become a better evangelist, a better counselor, actually listening to what the people are saying. All right, so our last, last question for this volume is any tips for how to be involved in the creative arts music, writing, et cetera, and not become effeminate and or heterodox. And then the note is, I've noticed that music and the arts are a gateway for much bad theology into the church, either by the music itself or by the lives of the artists. 
Well, I'm not so much cre- in the creative arts, so I'm just going to defer to you on this one. Nam, what, what would you say? Well, you're not in the creative arts, but you actually know more about music than I do. Uh, I have definitely noticed that for certain certain kinds of music, certain kinds of men are attracted to this very kind of soft, um, wanting to put their emotions on display, often associated with hipster kind of culture. And uh, there's also a sort of style to it, which sounds like they're asleep when they're singing. Drives me nuts. I can't stand it. But like like Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> Do you know who that uh, is? I don't know who that is, but Iron and Wine comes to mind. Well, they, that's there. There are yeah. That you're dead on those two. So although his although his um his cover after time after time is excellent to anyone that's right. listening. I'll take your word for it. There's definitely a danger there. And I think in writing, there is a similar kind of danger. And the, the danger really has to do with the, the admiration of people, the, the fear of man. Because when you're writing, for instance, I've noticed this a lot with people who've gone to university, the way that they start to write changes because they think that it's sound, they, they, they need to sound a certain way. They need to sound intellectual. They need to mimic the style of the papers that they're reading. And they think that even if they're not writing a paper, they should be doing that. Whereas the, many of the best papers that I've read, um, Elvin Plantinga, for example, has written some pretty good philosophy papers that are very entertaining. And he obviously doesn't stand on his intellect as something to be grossly proud of that can be um, lauded over people by using big words and the right kinds of phrasing and so on. So there is a, a strong temptation to conform to certain ideals that you think are going to produce the the effect of admiration in people. And that is a very effeminate thing because if essentially what you're doing is you're ceding frame to someone else. And usually it's to someone else who is taking a fairly ungodly attitude and you're not worrying at all about what God thinks of you. And that ultimately is what really matters. So it's kind of a, a lack of humility and often it's disguised as humility, which makes it worse. Um, so tips to, for being involved in the creative arts. I think it is really important that Christians be involved in the creative arts. And one of the places that I would go for tips on uh, how to do that, not in the sense of they provided a checklist or something, but in the sense of looking at the way that they have done it is the people at Canon Press and the associated ministries around there. Those guys are really good at producing content, which is creative and um, God honoring and also manly. It's not, you know, this kind of soft, weak, limp, limp wristed stuff. Um, Andy Wilson. Yeah. Andy Wilson stuff's very creative. Yeah. And, 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 and not just their, not just their music and their writing, but also their art is very creative and, and bold and strong and, and engaging. Um, I really love the design work that Canon Press does. So they're a good example. And I think that it really comes from, having your heart in the right place. If you're going to make music an idol, if you're going to make creative stuff an idol, it very easily, uh, you become what you worship, right? So if you want to change the way that the creative, uh, you want to make sure the creative is reflecting God, you have to actually be worshiping God and you have to be putting the creative in its place. And that can be pretty difficult for, I mean, people like me, for instance, I do a lot of writing and I've certainly felt that temptation of trying to figure out my voice and so on. I've been, told by a well-known figure in the, the Christian manosphere that I have a, a way of dressing, which is 
um, not hipster exactly, but it, it's heading in that direction. It's very aesthetic. And I had to think about that carefully because it, it's a valid criticism. And the, the conclusion that I came to is that there are men, and I would include myself among them, who are unable to not notice the aesthetics of things. It's, it's hardwired into them. There are some men who just don't notice that kind of thing at all. You know, they, they put on jeans and a t-shirt and that to them is a, a good outfit. There are some men who are naturally wired to notice the way that things go together visually. And for those men, it's a huge temptation to start, you know, strutting their stuff and getting outfits and spending time in front of the mirror and that kind of thing. So the way that I've dealt with that is I've established a style that I like to wear and I buy things that fit that style and I just put those things on in the morning and I don't think about it. So I know what works. I, I buy the things that work. Um, I prime, I almost never buy clothes in um, retail outfits. I, I go to what you guys call thrift stores. Here we call them op shops. And uh, I just make sure that I'm, I'm not really thinking about it too much. Once it's established, it's established and I don't need to worry. I think that's a good point and it, it gets really to the heart of this. The reason that we associate creative arts with being effeminate is that it's natural for a woman to call attention to her external beauty. So, for example, if we have a girl, we know a girl who's posting a lot of selfies on Instagram and her in her Sunday dress or whatever, you know, she's not immodest. We're not thinking about it too much. But if a guy does the same thing, always posting selfies and, and pictures of him in his outfits. That's something that immediately stands out as odd or not right or unnatural. It's, it's like a red flag of sorts. And because he's calling attention to himself. And so I think the creative arts can be a way of calling attention to yourself. I think a lot of worship leaders are like that. You know, if anyone's going to have a faux hawk or tight pants or whatever, you know, is often a worship leader in a church and they, you know, very emotive. So I think that's what some people are worried about, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think one way to be involved in creative arts and not be effeminate is love art, love music, love writing, love painting, care about the product more, like mm. produce solid, good stuff and less about getting attention. That's a good way of reframing what I said earlier um, about what you're worshiping if you're producing something beautiful in order to glorify the source of that beauty, which is God, it's not going to be nearly as much of a problem. Um, the, the, the temptation to draw attention to yourself isn't going to be there because you're explicitly wanting to draw attention to God. And, you know, we always act in with mixed motives. There's always an element of pride in what we do. But if you're, if you're really setting your mind on God, then you're not going to be trying to draw attention to yourself. Moving forward, we'll do these shows every couple of weeks. We're, we're back in the studio. You're going to see some new episodes coming out. We take long breaks sometimes. We're trying to write a book and take care of families and things like that. But we're going to do these Q&A episodes. We've got a couple more volumes coming. So if you've got questions you want us to answer or follow-ups that you think we should tackle, by all the means, uh, send them to men at itsgoodtobeaman.com or hit me up on Twitter. And until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love.